Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are tackling building hybrid teams working together while apart. The hybrid working model is here to stay, and organizational leaders will face the continuing challenge of managing these teams. Therefore, the L&D role of being connectors and advocates of people has never been more important. So the question on the table today is, how can we reimagine workplace teams with a remote first mindset? How can we help leaders work together while we're apart? So without further ado, let's get to it. Well, hello everyone. Learning Rebels Coffee Chat today. We are going to be talking about building teams in a hybrid workplace, working together yet apart, you know, that sort of dilemma that a lot of organizations are facing right now. And I think that the conversation about how we can get learning and development more proactive is going to be really critical especially as we continue to move forward through this. And we want to be in a position where, you know, the business comes to us and asks us our advice. And when they do ask us for our advice, are we prepared? That would be a good thing to happen, right? What I would really like to know here is, you know, what questions do you have? What concerns do you have helping your organization make a transformation into a hybrid workplace? And I think a lot of organizations are by default headed in that direction, not necessarily because they want to, but because their employees are demanding it. So now, how do we help that process along? What are your thoughts? Amy? So I'm in healthcare, which is a little tricky. Obviously, people need to be in the hospitals and in our health centers, but a lot of our, what I'll call back office areas, of course, during COVID, we were all remote. Now we're coming back to a hybrid type of approach. And it's interesting because, you know, they never had that before. So this is brand new to have a remote even approach. And I think that the challenge is that there's this thought, okay, all the people in the hospitals have to be in the hospitals. So you guys need to be in the in the office at least some of the time. Mm. So there's a little bit of a, a push and pull there that even though we went all one direction, we're not totally coming back to the middle. We're actually moving a, a little bit back to the way things were. And I understand it to a point, but I guess, you know, your status should be based on your role. If you need to be in, you need to be in. If you don't need to be in, you know, so with some of that, it's just trying to help prepare. Like when it all first happened and I joined this organization, I was doing how to run remote meetings, how to uh, lead a remote team, how to use Zoom, you know, all of those critical things that we needed like right away because we weren't meeting in person. And even the people on the hospitals were keeping distanced, obviously, if they could even meet because they were treating patients. Right, right. And that sounds really familiar. I used to work in an organization that was B2C 
And so you had frontline people who were working directly in front of the customers and you had corporate office people like myself. And there was always that dynamic, you know, kind of an us versus them. If we have to be out there, then they've got to be in there. That sort of dynamic, which I think is what I'm hearing you say. So I'm curious, how can we, I don't know how much impact or influence we have over that, but what, what can we do to make it more palatable maybe and make the transition a little more smooth? I mean, what ideas do you have? Is anybody else in Amy's situation? Let me start off there. Is anybody else in Amy's situation? I'm working for a biotech company and we have people working in the laboratory and they have to go there. And then we have digital trainers like myself and product managers, but it's it's a small percentage, only about 20% of the stuff. And we are working, we have to work remote because there's not enough space in the canteen for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to go to the office. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, right. And there's that mix, right? There are people who really want to be in the office and then there are people who are happy working from home and then admit there are people who are a mix. You know, I want to go into the office once a week, but I would rather have control over my whole schedule. You know, so I think that this is the situation that we're in. And we're, as an industry, we're right in the middle of this sort of perfect storm. And I would really love to hear how some of you are handling this within your organizations right now? What are you doing? We are have it one, one-to-one. So if a person wants to be remote, they can be remote. If they want to come into the office and work remotely some of the time, they can do that. If they just want to come into the office, they can do that too. So they're taking it on a case-by-case basis, which I think is the right thing to do, honestly. I think it is the right thing to do. Absolutely. You know, to ask people what it is that they want and to ask your teams what they want. It becomes hard to manage sometimes, though, doesn't it? When you think about you tell everybody to come in when they want to and when they feel most comfortable. So then you have some people on a team showing up on Monday and some people on a team showing up on Tuesday and some people showing up on a team on Thursday and their paths are crossing. So subsequently, the benefits of going to the office become null. Right. Because we're, we're really not seeing each other because part of my team is only coming in on this part of the week and I'm coming in on this part of the week. So the whole point of being together becomes a struggle once again. That is true. And the way they're managing that is that they have team calendars to tell each other when they're going to be in the office. And then I think they do have some days where like, OK, we're just all going to go to the office today unless you're only a remote worker. Like I, I'm only a remote worker. I have been for years. Well, I occasionally go to the office to do some training, but mostly all my trainings are virtual or e-learning and I work from home. But that calendar approach seems to be helping to manage that problem. Good. Okay. So what else are you, are you all doing to help manage this? And I see Amy, she said here that they're only doing virtual because we only have 10 people in a classroom. So you can only have 10 people in a classroom. So subsequently, then you went completely virtual. Is that what you're saying? When the pandemic first started, they canceled all classroom training. And obviously, the hospital workers were all focused on the people in the hospitals. When we started back up with like new employee orientation, that was virtual. And we haven't gone back yet because we have some regulations that tell us we can't have 
uh, more than 10 people in the room. So until that lifts, we're still doing virtual training. Do you see you going back? I think we will. I don't know when. Maybe uh, this fall we'll be able to go back and have that. And But I also see us in a shift because it was all classroom for us. So I want to see it shift to some virtual, some e-learning, you know, some classroom where, where it makes sense. Right, right. And I see here, so Jane, talk to me. We're pretty much only continuing to train virtually, even though training rooms are available. People can work either in the office or remote. Okay, so you use Teams. So, Jean, talk to me a little bit more about what you put into the chat. We used to do only in-class in training, lots of nice modern training rooms with plenty of space for lots of people and monitors and everything. But now we actually have people that live out of state who are employees that would need training. And the decision has been made that in order to give people sort of the same experience, so that they have the same quality of experience. The decision has been made that if even one person has to attend remotely, then the training will be virtual, which essentially in my mind <laughs> means we're gonna stick with virtual training, maybe virtual meetings mm-hmm. going forward instead of some in and some out of the office. What's the overall feeling around that? It's so early. I don't know, you know, some instructors are comfortable in that virtual world, but we have we have some, you know, subject matter experts who aren't facilitators who used to only facilitate in class and that's how they feel comfortable. So then trying to get a non-facilitator up to speed and comfortable facilitating just looking at their monitor is is interesting because they that kind of training sort of put on hold. They really weren't asked to train. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. I mean it doesn't matter to me, but I know that there's going to be a push to have in class. I'm just curious about if people are finding that they can still deliver a good quality experience, even though some people are in the classroom getting really good attention, personal attention, versus that sort of more remote attention to somebody who is virtual. I think that's a good question. So truly having a hybrid classroom, is anyone in that situation where you have some people who are live? and some people who are virtual, all in the same class. Anyone dealing with that right now? Nope. And are they finding that there's a difference in quality, that the person who's remote is experiencing a definite decline in quality because they're not in class? That's, that's I think, the issue that people are struggling with. Right, and I agree. And that's part of the message that I put out earlier this week was having that remote first mentality. You know, because a lot of times when we have these hybrid situations, be it in a classroom or in a meeting, we forget about the person who's on the Zoom. We forget about the person who's on the conference call, and then they become an afterthought. Then the conversation becomes meeting talk, meeting talk, meeting talk. Oh, by the way, Jane, sorry, what was your opinion, right? And then we completely forget about them. So how are we handling this? So, Dr. Bob, I see you. Yeah, I say if you're forgetting those people, shame on you. I mean, that's the environment you have, and you have to appropriately respond in that environment. I can't imagine in the middle of a training saying, oh, yeah, what do you think, Sally? 
Yeah, I forgot you were out there. Oh, come on. Shame on us. I think we see emphatic nods, but we know it happens. We know it happens because we don't create the classroom design to incorporate the remote first behaviors. So we don't include exercises that seamlessly bring in the remote person. Why don't we? I don't know. That's why we're here today. Let's figure this out. How can we make this happen? How can we make a more seamless experience for meetings and classrooms and also for our organizations in general? So, Shannon, one thing you said, it's about the design. Exactly. This cannot be left up to the facilitators. I've facilitated hybrid meetings and I've designed hybrid meetings and they are the toughest ones to facilitate, but it goes back to the purposeful design. So it is not, you can't tell a facilitator, facilitate this hybridly. It needs to be started at the, even meeting, you need to start it at the design level. So what's the purpose and how are we going to do this so everyone has a voice, can be included, it's seamless, and everyone has an equitable experience. But I think when you said design, that's just it right there. It has to start with the design. Right. Not leaving it up to chance. No, has to be intentional and thoughtful and done before the day of the meeting, the day of the training, before you walk into the meeting room. Oh, how am I going to do this? It's too late. Right. Right. It is too late. And some facilitators are better equipped than others to handle these sorts of situations on the fly. Right. And especially those who have only done classroom, if you've only done classroom, then that paradigm shift to including, you know, people who are virtual or that mindset shift becomes difficult. And I think having that in the design, that thoughtful approach first really does benefit. I see Kristen, I see your comment here in the chat. Do you want to expand on that for me? This is nothing new to me. So, um, hybrid environment or live or all virtual was something that I'm just used to supporting a commercial organization, a pharmaceutical consumer goods industries. So hybrid is definitely the toughest. (laughs) I, I totally agree. I think it's not ideal, but having the good technology has always been, I think one of the big success criteria for me. If you don't have the the right technology, if all of the users don't have the right technology, and if you don't have the right technology and support in the classroom, it's almost not worth doing (laughs) because most likely it's going to fail. So because Wi-Fi connections become an issue and and if you want to do any kind of engaging work or breakout rooms or things like that with people in the classroom, with people virtually, it becomes very difficult if there's connectivity issues and stuff like that. So but I agree with I think it was Chris who was saying, you know, designing for the hybrid, making sure as a facilitator that you're constantly involving the people on the phone, go to the people on the phone first, you know, the people who are virtual first and have them answer questions. You have them on the screen live. So, so I would always have them on the screen live as if you're doing a virtual workshop, but you're in the classroom that, that seemed to be the best way to do it. So even though you've got a classroom, maybe of 15 or 20 people in the room, depending on what the, the subject is, 
they're still kind of viewing the virtual workshop and then making sure people have their cameras on and things like that. If that's something that's, you know, in your culture, um, that's always helpful. You know, you can run the breakout rooms and things like that. You can use the whiteboards. You know, I have users in the classroom environment have their laptops open too, depending on what the subject is. And they're actually on the Zoom in the classroom or the WebEx or whatever technology you're using. So they're actually on their own individual laptops as well, engaging in breakouts and stuff like that. So, Right. And I think you make a really good point. And that leads to the comment that Jason made about having your materials and having your plan set up before, you know, set up before the 24 hours before your classroom happens, or even beyond classroom, you know, thinking about just in general, your team building activities or your meetings or any sort of gatherings that you have with people who are remote as well as in office, you know, being able to help people build that plan around that, right, Jason? Yeah, exactly. And it's not just about the materials either. It's giving the trainers time to practice and get comfortable with whatever that environment is. Even if you just say, okay, let's look at this activity or this item we're going to do and get them involved in how they can facilitate that in that hybrid environment. Because then they'll take ownership of it and they'll actually be more comfortable doing it than if you said, Victoria, you're going to do it this way. And Kristen, you're going to do this way. And Chris, you're going to do this way. And Stella, you're going to do it this way. You know, sort of barking orders at them and say, how would you do this? Taking that training approach to it and get them involved in that idea. Because I have found that trainers sometimes have the best ideas and better ideas of how to run an activity than a designer does, especially in a virtual environment. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with that because we're, if you put yourself in those facilitator shoes, you're the one living it, right? You, you know, the timings, you know, what the responses more likely are to be. And that's why you have to have that good relationship with your designer. Now, let me ask you, are you putting any materials together to help managers, you know, so to help managers facilitate meetings and that sort of thing? We are not because many of our managers are still in, uh, in person environments because uh, our managers are there's much smaller teams they're out in the field anyway okay so they're already getting together even in the it's a construction type environment so they're just meeting in the morning before they go and do the job and then go uh, those that are our engineers that are remote they don't have regular meetings around here i'll just say that much about it yeah okay i'm just curious as to the We talk about giving each other guidance as far as trainers are concerned. Mm -hmm. How are we giving the organization guidance? When everything shifted two years ago, the organization I worked for was not comfortable doing anything virtually. And I came from a role where I worked entirely virtual for 10 years. And they were like, "Uh, so how do we do this? And I just sat down with, with people and said, okay, here, let's walk through how to use Teams. And how to use the tools. And as they started seeing, oh, this actually works. I had one whole business unit that said, you know what, we're, this is all we're going to do now. And they've adopted a pure virtual environment. And they're one of the our units that 
has decided that they are not ever coming back to the office and they've dispersed across the country. They had that wall. Yeah. Right? <laughs> They're like, I can do everything from my kitchen now. <laughs> Unless I have to be out in the field, you know, monitoring wells or getting samples. We're gonna we're gonna sit here. Yeah, and I think that's great. I think a lot of organizations have shifted to that. And again, it's because not only it's not just that leadership wants it, but they know that that's what their people are demanding. Right. And I think that they are being forced into a position of having to create this hybrid environment, regardless of whether or not leadership wants to, you know, whether or not they're dealing with a butts in office seat sort of mentality. Building on that, Shannon, you know, what leadership wants, I think I see my role and our, our role as training and development professionals is, is to be an advocate for whatever our, our people want. And yes, I had this deep conversation with somebody the other night and he's like, well, no, they need to be in the office. You know, new people need to be in the office because they need this, this, and this. I'm like, no, they don't. If the leaders can adapt and accept the new norm, and I don't like using that word, but they can accept it and they can adapt to it. They can find a way to give the mentoring to the new people to you know, be engaged with their employees. You don't have to have that cheats and seats. Right. And Kimberly, I see um, your comment here in the chat as well about the design stage and helping to set up a corporate standard for meetings to open up introductions, et cetera. Talk to me a little bit about this comment, because I find this to be really on target with what we're talking about. I was always the person for 15 years that was on on the end of the the line in terms of the uh, of the conversation and not in the room when everybody else was in pres- was present. But we started to have different roles for the meeting, like who is in charge of the note taking, monitoring the time, and you can have somebody set up to monitor the chat and just start to instill that into your culture and your set of processes. And it's also I was always the one that would start the meetings a little bit earlier to engage our global colleagues and help address any tech issues. And then the meet and greets would start before people even started to come into the room. And that always helped because as people would come into the room, they'd hear some conversations and they'd be curious about who's there. Um, And then it starts the engagement of people on the line uh, and in the room starting some conversations. So it kind of set that mindset and awareness piece of it, but I think starting at the corporate culture, and I saw other people said that they share um, resources with their teams and stuff too, but it's, it's just setting that, that meeting and mindset shift from the beginning and giving them the tools to kick it off. I love that. And it is about culture, isn't it? And I think this is where the conversation is going, is we can, as L&D people within our organizations, we can drive solid classroom design from a hybrid perspective, but how how are we maintaining culture? Because that's some of the leadership concern, isn't it? It's, you know, how are we maintaining our culture? How are we keeping the culture alive? How are we keeping communication alive? So how are we helping in our small way within our organizations, depending on how large or small you are within your organizations, you have an impact. What are you doing to help your organizations drive and keep your culture in this sort of a hybrid environment? Or what sort of suggestions would you give to your organization today if you could? I think accountability is really important. So having senior leader kind of advocacy and holding their 
leaders accountable to make sure that folks are participating or engaging. One of the things that we've, we have a challenge with is um, our new leader program became all virtual. So it's kind of a blend of asynchronous, synchronous, one-on-one coach directed, kind of a, a six month program. And we've had people drop out in the middle of it. So pretty high dropout rate. And we're now kind of refocusing and finding out why are people dropping out, what's going on, and trying to figure out, you know, a solution behind it. But some of the early feedback is that, you know, from the senior leaders is their question. I don't know if this is the most effective way to train leaders, you know, and my boss is kind of like, well, until you've taken it, since only 20% of the organization has has completed the course, we'll take your feedback later. (laughs) Basically, he didn't say that to them, but that's kind of where he, his feeling is right now. Let's hold people accountable. Let's get through the program and then give feedback. He's not owning the training. He's kind of a head of HR, but at some point, you know, the, the senior leadership needs to be held accountable and they need to hold their leaders accountable. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of cases here of they, they don't know what they don't know in regards to not necessarily holding people accountable. They certainly know how to do that. But how do we do this in this new environment? This is new to everybody, not just us, but to them. I find that a lot of leadership are less likely to ask questions because they don't want to be in that position of being the question asker, so to speak, or asking for help or an assistant. And so now what can we do and what are our next steps? Yeah, so I, I would be curious, Chris, to hear what your opinions are in regards to helping leaders, senior leadership maintain or get started to maintain their cultures in this hybrid environment? I think talent development and learning professionals have a unique opportunity to help influence the organization because we see all parts of the organization, you know, depending on who we interact with and and who we support in the business. And I think it's up to us, it's up to human resources to have conversations with leaders about, you know, how are they approaching this? What's the mindset? Well, the mindset needs to be one of experimentation. It needs to be one of adaptability. It needs to be one of where we can help people feel safe. And this is new to all of us. You know, yes, I've been remote for 15 years, but my coworkers have not. So let's figure out and help the organizations figure out how do we work in this new paradigm? What are the new skills that might be needed? And when you start having conversations with leaderships where you're talking about what are the skills we're going to need now and in the future, and here's how we can help you with that, because if you have a mindset of experimentation, if you have a mindset of adaptability and resiliency, that's going to lend itself to you being able to work more effectively in this hybrid environment. But tying it back to then, and when you work more effectively in the hybrid environment, here's how that equals in better customer experience, better deliverables, productivity. So I think we just have a unique opportunity because, again, we just see the enterprise in a different way. We see those managers, I forget who was sharing, you know, they, they had a dropout rate. Why do they have a dropout rate? Well, let's dig a little deeper, use our consulting skills and find out. You know, instead of the leader who is saying, oh, it's not the effective way to train. We don't know that. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper and and figure that out. So I think that's just, we have that unique skill of the consulting and 
the advocacy, that's a big word for lunchtime, advocacy, (laughs) to advocate for our employees. I just think we need to take that up. It's not just about training. It's how are we helping the organization be successful? And the training is only a piece of it. The resources is only a piece of it. It's influencing. See something, say something. You know, if you join a meeting with a senior leader, I just did this earlier this week and he was in the office with two other people and we had the rest of us on Zoom and he forgot about the Zoom. You know, he forgot about those of us on Zoom, which is typical. So I gave him a call afterwards and I said, hey, I just wanted to share a little bit of feedback. And he's like, you're right. That's a good call. How can I not do that in the future? I think digging into our consulting backgrounds and thinking about how can we influence and set the example and share feedback and then talk about what are the skills that the employees need to be successful in this new world, so to speak. Right. And I think that's such an important point. We have a unique position within our organizations to impact and influence small shifts in behavior even larger shifts, but mostly small shifts. So it's all about baby steps. And when we can then pick up the phone and say, maybe we could do this a little bit differently, or how about this? Or have you thought about, or what if we, can we, should we? You know, and we start asking those questions, then what puts us back into that role of really being a partner. And if we want to have that, you know, quote unquote, seat at the table, so to speak, then being able to put ourselves out there to offer guidance and support, then that becomes important. I love the perspective here that Chris is taking. So I'd love to piggyback on that. And one of the questions that I would ask you, and I'm going back in the chat, I saw Victoria say that she was starting, or the organization is starting an internal podcast. And I'd love to know more about that because I believe that communication pieces like that really do help influence the organization. You know, when we put ourselves out there and we start sharing the rich knowledge that we have. So Victoria, walk me through, what are you doing there? Our podcast really is going to be centered around trying to keep things short and also an alternate means for written communication. We do a really great job in our organization of sending emails and utilizing Slack and we're very written communication heavy, but I think people are very much overwhelmed with that. And I think they're looking for something new and fresh to engage with. And so this is going to be our effort to kind of try something a little bit different, try to keep it short, but really focus strategy. So having our our executive director and our managing director report out on on our organizational strategy and our five-year plan, highlight some of the key projects that we're undertaking. We're, we're, we've been working on incorporating the Alaskan ecosystem. And so it's going to touch every role in our organization. So trying to give people a heads up on what's coming with that and what they can expect. And then the other part kind of really speaks to the question about maintaining the culture and the community. And so we're also going to do features where we will highlight different staff members and interview them on what's a day in the life like for for you as a clinical data manager, and what do you do, and who, what are the roles you interact with, and then tell us a little bit about you as a person and what you like to do outside of work. And so, again, keeping that community and our employees front and center, and helping people make those connections since we're not in the office to have them um, like we used to. Right, right, and I think that that's a great place to start. 
you know, you can do a regular podcast, like what you're doing. You can do short little video casts, you know, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes of here's your building culture moment. Or somebody mentioned earlier that you were doing something along the lines of Team Tuesdays, and you used to do those live, but you can still do Team Tuesdays virtually. And you can put out a podcast episode or a virtual a video episode out on Tuesdays and it could be labeled Team Tuesdays, right? And then now everybody gets used to information coming out about building our culture, about supporting our culture in this hybrid place. And they're used to it coming out now on Tuesdays. Yeah, and so those little things can really make a big difference when we think about how are we getting information in front of people because that's part of what we do as well. You know, we're curators of information, sharers of information and knowledge. And it is about that advocating for the people within our organizations. And I see Irby here. So Irby, thank you for joining us. Closed captioning and transcribing podcast. So do you have a podcast, Irby, within your organization? Well, as it happens, I work for the federal government, specifically the Department of Veterans Affairs. And so, yes, for reasons related to 508 accessibility, we have to, you know, make, again, everything accessible. So, yeah, we're captioning and transcribing podcasts. You know, you talk about the culture of an organization, you know, how far do we go to meet the needs of, you know, our learners? I think that that's great. So then there's lots of um, outputs that can come out of that transcription, right? Do you use that transcription for other things? Well, a lot of the stuff that we do is accredited. Now, podcasts at this time aren't accredited. And so we use the information imparted in a podcast to drive traffic. And our audience is primarily, you know, healthcare teams, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, and so on. We use it to drive learners, again, to our platform, you know, internally and externally. If you get a chance, and especially if you're in healthcare, I encourage you to visit vha.train.org. You'll find lots of free accredited material there. So again, the podcasts are used to, you know, get people interested in the topics that we produce, as well as uh, potentially getting them to register and then, you know, get the full experience. Yeah, thank you for that. But the point here is that I, with the transcription, yes, absolutely the right thing to do, 508 compliance, ADA, et cetera, it's just the right thing to do. But also from that piece of information, think about how we can take that knowledge, that transcription can be turned into a blog. You could use that to turn it into a script for a video. You could um, turn it into email messages. So a lot of that transcription there is a lot of content that you can send out to your organization to help them with this mindset shift. So you have an interview with somebody within your organization or somebody from outside of your organization about a hybrid workplace and building that culture within a hybrid workplace. Now you can take those pieces of information and you can do lots more with it than what you had thought with very little extra work. And now what you're doing is you're influencing and impacting, you know, which is, you know, exactly where we all need to be right now. Linda, you had posted something in the chat earlier that I'm trying to find. Do you want to build on what you were thinking? Just speaking on behalf of my husband's experience, they have in-person days that are required once a week and their department decided on Tuesdays. And that way they can do large trainings some face-to-face at least once a week. The company has given their department the freedom to decide what days to come in, how often, 
uh, letting them, you know, take care of their own needs. And that's how they're making the transition. Um, they're not going to go back to full time in person, but they did want to go to at least two days a week. Um, and that means that some of the more individual or, you know, small group training can still be done um, hybrid like it has been done throughout COVID. Right. And I think that's important, you know, reaching out and having those connections. And that's why I asked about what sort of, not really training, I, I'm not a big fan of, let's put a whole bunch of people through hybrid workplace training. I, I don't know if that's the answer that we're looking for, but what kind of support can we give to help managers do better? You know, like what Chris was talking about, she, she actually got on the phone and said, hey, here's some pieces of advice. But is there something that we could do to get in front of it, you know, with leaders? Can we show them how to use some of the tools better? And speaking of tools, what sort of tools are you using to help facilitate a hybrid environment and to facilitate a hybrid culture? Do you have favorite team building games that you're using or team building activities or not even just not just like special event activities, but something that you bring into your workplace with every meeting, you know, or do you have lunch with somebody virtually every Wednesday? What are you doing? What are the little things that you're doing that are making an impact in this space? Because I know you're doing them. So when we came back to the office hybrid last July, and as I mentioned earlier, I did some training on leading virtual teams, you know, because, and that was a webinar, that was not face-to-face, -face. it was a webinar using Zoom to get them to think about how is that different? How do I engage people online? Because people don't always want to talk and they don't feel the pressure if they're not in the room. And then, you know, leading virtual teams, which was very different for our folks, because we're all you know, in the Philadelphia area, we're not all over the U.S. or throughout the world. How do I do that? Because now my team might be, some are home, some might be in the hospital. Now, how do I get them together? How does that work? So providing some team building activities that you could do virtually online, as well as really just how to focus on intentional conversations because you don't have water cooler moments anymore when you've got people that are hybrid. You're not going to bump into them in the hallway. So how do you be really intentional? What we did find was a lot of the managers said, because I'm trying to stay in touch with my employees, I'm in meetings like all day long with no break. I'm in virtual meetings because they were trying to connect more. And there was also, you know, establishing the trust that those employees that are working remotely are doing their jobs, which I think we proved that they did. But there were still some managers that were a bit untrusting of that. Is that a word, untrusting? Um, <laughs> it is today. <laughs> So yeah, you know, there were a bunch of things. I also created a two-page sheet for managers that just talked about definitions and some tips about communication, some tips about performance management. So it's just a two-page how to deal with hybrid teams that we then sent out to everyone. And, you know, just trying to provide some support and help since it was a, a new reality for them that they weren't ready for. Right. 
Right, exactly. Now, I'm going to ask you guys to do a quick exercise. So speaking of virtual exercises, here's what I would like you to do. I'm going to give you a few seconds. And what I'd like you to think about is how can we best curate information? How can we get information and then send information out? So for example, Amy said building a tips sheet and Victoria has their internal podcast that they're going to start working on. So what are some ideas that you have about gathering information and then sharing that information out within your workplace? Look at all these ideas. Teams channels. I love that. We don't make near as good use of Slack and Teams as we could. Dynamic web pages. Yes. Yeah. Managers resources page on your intranet. Yammer groups for managers. Email tips. Yeah, you can collect. You can do like a once a week type of email tip sheet. And if you use a tool like uh, Feedly or Pocket or something along those lines to gather those information pieces of information up, then it makes it super easy. All you got to do is gather it and click send and off it goes. Absolutely. Communicate information in internal and external company newsletters uh, and on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. You can grab information from LinkedIn, post it on LinkedIn, especially if you have people within your organization sharing. Yep, team channels. Dedicated channels in Slack, searchable and indexed websites. Love it, love it, love it. So Sherry, talk to me about your Google Docs. So you include tips and tricks in your LMS on demand and use Google Shared Docs. How are you using that effectively? We're all forced rapidly to go to online meetings, online calendars and setting up meetings. And it's surprisingly how quickly people moved to that format. But there was some best practices that weren't always done. People on camera, I mean, I'm not on camera right now, but (laughs) on camera, reminding themselves to put themselves on mute if they've got some background noise, if they've got kids at home, et cetera. So we, we talked to a bunch of the senior leaders and people that were holding a lot of these, these meetings and just came up with a, a best practices and shared them in a Google sheet so that everybody had access to them. We have an internal intranet um, that we, we posted the link on and people can then add information in there on best practices without naming, but just giving best practices. We also had some film. We recorded some sessions with permission and put it in our LMS on demand on some best practices so that people can go and, and also view any best practices when you're on a call and how to share, how to try not to micromanage. Again, just just some best practices. Myself with my group, I have a, a touch base. We arrange a touch base and we, we collaborate online, um, share screens. We also have a um, another formal documentation that any forms and job aids, if you like, are formalized and put in this, this format. And then they're rolled out to all management so that they actually have to read them. Mm-hmm. Whether they want to or not, they have to read them and accept them. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's just sharing best practices. Right. And then the reason why I picked out Google Docs out of all of that is because most organizations are using some form of um, the Google ecosystem. So it becomes easy. That's an easy thing that you can do. Absolutely. 
everybody's used to it now and you can access it anywhere. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You can do it on your mobile device. You can do it from home. You can you can look at it from wherever. So I think that that's one of the quickest. If you talk about Chris mentioned experimentation, which is she's got a direct arrow into my heart with that comment. When you think about experimentation and small little experiments that you can do really quick and you can do them under the radar and you can see if they work and if they don't work, then you can move on and do something else. And it doesn't cost anything. We don't have to train people on other applications. They're already using Google. Right. And so now what you're doing is you're making information accessible. And through this, it's these little baby steps, folks, isn't it? It's kind of if we show them how to do remote first meetings, remote first classrooms, remote first gatherings, then one plus one plus one equals a shift in culture, a shift in trustworthiness, right? And so it's not a matter of you trying to tackle this big issue all alone. It's I can do these little baby steps. Yes, Sherry. It also opens the door for people to share information and you're not getting these siloed people working from home and not sharing information. You have no reason not to share the information in a Google Doc. Absolutely. And I like uh, Kimberly's question here. So Kimberly's question in the chat is, do any of you do any organizational network analyses to see who the key connectors are in your organization? That's a great question. How do you know who are the connectors in your organization? Chris, do you have any thoughts around that? Some of the programs, especially Microsoft, have a lot of this already built in. We use WebEx or WebEx shop here. And Cisco actually has something called People Insights. And there's something similar in the Microsoft Office 365, if you're a Microsoft shop, where it allows you to see connections, almost like a a network analysis, but it'll allow you to see it on a personal level, on a team level. And then from an organizational level, we can take kind of a sneak peek inside. We can't see a ton of data, but we can see things like usage and we can make some intuitive leaps. So if we have a lot of people that are cross-pollinating across different groups within WebEx channels or workplace channels, then those would be our connectors. And those would be the people that we could reach out to and talk about, you know, what are those best practices? I know I'm not as familiar with Microsoft's version of it, but you may have, depending on the the type of software shop you run, you may have something like that, that you'd be able to access. That's interesting. I did not know that. Learn something new. I learned something new today. Now, for those who aren't heavy tech like that, what would be a piece of advice for them just to get started and try to figure this out? I am best friends with my IT folks. So that's my first tip. Make really good friends with them because they usually know what type of data is being collected on an organizational level. So reach out to your IT teams to see, depending on what type of systems you have, there's a lot of what they call scrap data that's being pulled and you may have access to some of this information and just not know it. You may have some of this access to this information if you have a Yammer. Again, you just might not know it. So reach out to IT to see what type of data that might be accessible, knowing that obviously there's privacy issues that you want to make sure you're focusing in on and and it's not to be shared with others, but reach out to IT. I think it's a great first step just to see. 
Yeah, and I'd be curious as to whether or not they would know not what people are saying on Teams or Slack, but who spends a lot of time there. That's what they can see generally. Give them a call and see what type of, and if they go, well, we don't know, then ask to be connected with somebody at the vendor. And we partner with Cisco a lot and bring them in to ask a lot of questions. So if they don't know, um, ask them if you can get on a call with your vendor. Yeah. And it might just also require you just getting down and dirty and spending some time searching around and asking people, who do you go to? So you can go to sales and say, who's your go-to person? Who's the go-to person in finance? Who's the go-to person in IT? And you can have those conversations with them. And not because you want to turn them into coaches or mentors. You just want to ask them their advice as far as when it goes to connecting and sharing information, what are you, what are your best tips? What are your best ideas? And then you can share that, right? And I see um, Sherry talking about pulse surveys. So yes, pulse surveys across the organization. You know, all of this, all of this data could be a whole entire conversation in of itself. But we are at the top of the hour. And, you know, as always, time flies when we're all together. And this was a really good conversation. We kind of took it from all four corners, you know, of the world, so to speak. And we investigated under the under the hood of the car to see where we could go with this. And I'm loving all of the input and tips that you all shared. So thank you for being here today. What anyone got any big plans this weekend? I'm just enjoying spring. I don't know about anybody else, right? I see lots of nods. It's like, yes, some warm weather. It snowed here. It snowed here yesterday. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where we discussed building hybrid teams working together while apart. The big takeaway today, no one needs a training course on hybrid teams. It takes the implementation of little steps to build a culture of remote first, such as creating an internal podcast to tell the stories of leaders who share their ideas and tips on bringing teams together. Or two, provide a collaborative space for leadership to share and learn more about how to help each other and their teams. And just as important, let's bridge the workplace digital divide, ensuring people have the technology they need to get the job done. As a reminder, all of the resources can be found in the show notes below. And while you're there, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Want to join the live chat conversation? Well, go on over to learningrebels.com and sign up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.